This is the John Oakley Show podcast. What's Josh Matlow saying we need to cut in police resources? Where is he saying that he sees the cuts? Does he want us to cut the community police officers? Where does he want to see the cuts? Stop responding to, to certain calls? Uh, like I'm sure he's done uh, his due diligence and done an exhaustive research and looked at all the evidence and the data that supports his position, and he's just not telling us what that is at this point. Uh, you know, All right, so you're on. being sarcastic. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, come on, John. Like, like this guy saying, okay, we'll take 10% of the police budget. Every police dollar that we use, we have to justify. We just recently changed our shift model, uh, making sure we have the right officers deployed at the right time in the right areas of the city, that the response times uh, when people are waiting for police to arrive, proactive policing, all those things, based on data and evidence. And now this guy comes, and I hate to use the term, but knee-jerk reaction and what's going on in the world and in the world are in the states right now and says oh yeah let's just take 10 percent uh because it's politically uh what he wants to be saying right now or without without any data or evidence um and it's just an emotional reaction i, I you know i i really don't see where he's coming from at all all right, uh, let me just alert uh, back in the studio uh, this clip from Josh Matlow yesterday where he feels there's a lack of transparency when it comes to police spending. Give a listen to this. What we don't know as a council is how the money's being spent because unlike U.S. cities, unlike cities throughout the world, Toronto's set up in a way where Toronto Council can't even see the line-by-line line line operating budget of the police. So in other words, we're supposed to hand over over a billion dollars, but we have no idea how the money's being used. Can you imagine any of us making a, a big purchase, but being told that we're not allowed to look at the contract or the warranty? It's absurd. So that, Mike, uh, is sort of response to the question that you raised. Does Josh Matlow do his due diligence and know the line item breakdown of how the budget is dispersed? Uh, he says there's no way of knowing because it's all sort of done, you know. Yeah, yeah, but 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 again, John, like I'm not necessarily weighing into whether or not the budget. There, there are members on the police service board, and last I checked, I think the mayor is one of them. Uh, so that the when we get the budget, it's not rubber stamp. It goes through the police service board, which has. Uh, municipal uh, appointees to it last I checked and they're made aware of the budget they go through it they approve the budget and then there's presentations made at City Hall around the budget and so if this has been an ongoing concern why now did what Josh Matlow just waited and woke up this uh, yesterday morning and thought oh this would be a good idea if it's been something that's been on the the front burner from him like how did how does it not appear to be anything other than exploitive or opportunistic on his part well, all right. Uh, in given the times and the situation, uh, the circumstances surrounding the death of George Floyd and uh, the marches in the streets and the riots and the mayhem and everything like that, uh, race relations have come to the fore. And on yesterday's program as well, Matlow was saying that the problems with the police department are evidenced by the number of complaints he says he hears about racial profiling. Listen. When we're hearing from black members of our community who are saying that when they walk through their neighborhood, they're more likely to get stopped unfairly than you or I will, because we're not black. That's got to change, and it's got to be addressed. Well, yeah. Uh, sorry, go ahead, John. I would, well, I was going to ask you, how uh, could it be then that this is happening, or how could it be best addressed? Is it being addressed? Well, like, again, you know, here we have uh, the councillor talking in uh, anecdotal, he's heard from his constituents, and 
and then and are heard from people and these sorts of stories. We, we look at the millions and millions of interactions uh, that we have uh, with the public every year and how many of them actually end up in a complaint. And what are their circumstances? Do we get it right all the time? Is everything perfect in policing? Hardly. But like for him now to say, okay, so how, okay, let's, let's go back. So how does taking 10% away from the police department solve that issue? Wouldn't you look at putting a further investment into police and police training, culture sensitivity, all these types of things? So I, I really think he's disingenuous about what he's try, trying to refer here. Well, you know, when you talk about, uh, because that has a cost affixed to it, obviously, the police training and all right. these other things. Uh when I was citing earlier Camden, New Jersey, and they changed their approach to things, and they've got more police embedded in the community, and uh, it's a case of, I guess, uh, just being something akin to social work uh, in terms of uh, managing uh, these relationships with the community. Does he have a point, Matlow, if he reimagines the police along those lines? Would that necessarily incur greater cost or lesser cost? Well, you know, community-based policing, which is one of the, the, the policing aspects that I am very fond of and, and always been a huge supporter of, um, you know, is a labor-intensive and resource-intensive uh, piece of policing. So you got to make that commitment. But, uh, you know, I agree wholeheartedly that is uh, an amazing way to police. It really breaks down barriers between communities and, and police. Um, but, yeah, all these things uh, cost money. And we have to, as I said, John, we have to justify the use of every police dollar. And then, you know, I've got the same people like Josh say, well, we're going to defund the police or take 10% of the police budget. But, hey, let's give everyone body-worn cameras. So who's going to be paying for that? You know, it's just, uh, again, I think it's it's more grandstanding and being opportunistic. And, and it, you know, if the social programs have the merit, I am 100%, and I've said this all along, fully engaged and fully prepared to say fund these social programs based on the merit of those programs. We need to have strong social fabrics, strong social nets to go alongside with policing, but it's not you take from one or the other. It's both combined that'll solve this problem, not one or the other. Again, with Mike McCormick, he heads the Toronto Police Association. On the matter of social workers slash police officers, when it comes to uh, perhaps a wellness check or uh, somebody in mental distress, uh, Mantle says that the police are not the right resource to address mental health issues. Give a listen. I want the police, frankly, to do more and better when it comes to priorities like road safety enforcement. I mean, there, there are real things that we want their, their help for, and, they, and there are some good cops out there. This isn't about anti or pro-cop. It's about, is it reasonable that there aren't alternatives when you call 911 to having cops show up with uniform and gun when it's perhaps a mental health-related matter? <laughs> All right. Why do you laugh at that? Well, that's a ringing endorsement. There are some good cops out there. <laughs> well, thanks for that ringing endorsement that there's some good cops. Um, I, I think that the, the bottom line is I think that really is a telling statement that, um, you know, it's in the, and then he tries to, to qualify, well, it's not about cop bashing, it's not about whatever. But you start off with a statement, well, there are some good cops. So, yes, should the police be doing core policing functions? 100%. But what 
concept does Mr. Matlow have about when we are responding to people who are in mental health crisis? Uh, and that's why we have a very robust, and we've expanded this, the mobile crisis intervention team, where we have a police officer along with a mental health practitioner to, so that you have a two-tier, somebody there to help with the, the mental health issues and a police officer there who's also trained uh, in, in, in dealing with people, uh, extra training uh, with uh, people who are in crisis and they work collaboratively and it's an amazing program. Oftentimes when we are responding to somebody who is in crisis, there is a component of violence, a component of weapons, and that's why the, the MCIT teams work so well. So for him to say, okay, we're just gonna send somebody who's trained uh, if you have somebody who's armed with a weapon or whatever, you're just going to send somebody into that situation. I think that from a risk management point and from a, a, a potential injury and more harm, uh, I don't think he knows what he's talking about. You know, Mike, when it comes to the idea of uh, reimagining the police and uh, maybe reconfiguring things, uh, it's been widely said that the biggest impediment is the resistance from the unions. Uh, do you feel that uh, that might be a problem would you be uh maybe is there a way that the union could work in conjunction because the police chief the current one who's about to step down at the end of july talked about transformative policing and i think you guys gave him some pushback on that <laughs> yeah I, I mean here's the bottom line like you know I'm, I'm somebody who lives in the city uh you know a family in the city um and and works work within the policing organization so what we want to see is data and evidence-based uh, issues are options that really have an impact on public safety and the safety of our members as well, the people who, whether they're civilian or uniform, who do that job each and every day. So, first of all, we have been participating all along, ever since I've been the president of the union, in what he calls transformation. We've civilianized many uh, uh, historical police positions. We're always at the table discussing what are the best practices uh, around community-based policing and We've also, John, uh, taken an unprecedented step in the last 35 years of changing the shift schedule so we have the right people deployed at the right time in the right areas and the right amount of officers. And we can demonstrate that now uh, through data and evidence. So we're already there. So these people are coming late to the parade. Um, but for them to say, oh, yeah, well, none of this has been going on is completely wrong and uh, egregious statements that they're making. And I think that as counselors, instead of grandstanding, maybe they should get informed and get to the get to the table and, and have some meaningful input and uh, not just throw out concepts without any uh, real substantive piece to it. Mike, how's the force doing on de-escalation training? Well, again, you know, that's something that we've looked at in our use of force model, and this is something that we we're always, uh, you know, needs to be looked at. We always need to adjust that, and uh, we are now uh, we've had an an extra day to our training uh, around dealing with people who are in crisis, dealing with de-escalation. So there's a lot of uh, time being spent on de-escalation and uh, how, uh, what the use of force model and how we apply uh, as little force as necessary when we're, we have to make arrests or be in those situations. So uh, it's a work in progress, but we're always making adjustments to best practices. Uh, do you have any data, I guess, or uh, whatever figures to substantiate that, you know, there are fewer excessive force complaints now coming forward over the last couple of years? 
Yeah, I, I don't have that data with me or any of that data, but, you know, we know around the clearance rates and, and when we looked at that. And, and that's a, the, another thing where, you know, when we get into the body-worn camera discussion, John, like when we, we piloted it in the association and our members supporting it, um, you know, uh, that's another tool that we're, you know, w- that we've seen uh, the data sort of support where uh, we had, I think, 23 uh, uh, complaints during that pilot project, and all 23 complaints were uh, cleared uh, because of the video that was captured or the images that were captured on body-worn cameras. So I don't have the numbers specifically, but again, we're making adjustments all the time to uh, how we apply force and how we do our job. How about uh, responding to complaints that some communities are over-policed? Well, again, what does that mean? You know, uh, what does over-policed mean when, you know, uh, we're responding to calls? And again, this is something where we have to look at it here. If it's a high crime area, why is that crime there? What's going on? What are we responding to? You know, we go where people need us. We go where there's crime. And, you know, in, in some marginalized or socioeconomically depressed communities, is there a higher need for police because of the economic conditions and stuff? Sure there is, but we go where, where we're called to go. All right. Well, uh, that was a question that arose early in the discussion this afternoon. Somebody said, ask him about uh, the dispatching and whether or not, you know, there's an inherent bias in where the dispatcher sends the police. But I guess that answers that question. Yeah. You pick up the phone, you call the police. It's not uh, option, pick option A or option B. So it's we go where we're needed. By the way, how are the 911 response times going? Uh, you know what? Uh, we're getting better there. We we got the the staff, so people aren't being put on hold like they were uh, a few months ago. But again, John, that that's where we get into, you know, making sure adequate staffing and making sure we're not going out there saying the sky's falling. We need more cops. We need more people. We want to just make sure we have the right amount of people to do the job, so that when you need the police, they'll be there and you'll feel safe in this city. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.